Thanks, guys. Uh, hey, everybody. My name is Norton. I'm one of the pastors here um, at New Denver. Thanks for joining us uh, this morning. Those of you who braved the cold and made it here, or those of you who are cozy at home, we're glad you're uh, watching. We're kicking off a new series today, and I have a question um, I'd like to ask you. Uh, have you ever noticed that advertisements on TV or, um, or the ads that pop up on our screens, they often use the same words over and over to grab our attention. Whether it's a new car that you're being tempted to buy or a new product to purchase or uh, a new place that you've never been or a new app that you should download, um, here are the words that we hear over and over. Epic, right? Revolutionary, life-changing, cutting edge, ultimate, unmatched, unprecedented, the next big Thing, or, or just think about the books that we read here. The names of some recent uh, bestsellers: Untamed, right? Radical. That was a popular book a few years ago. Fierce, free, and full of fire: The Guide to Being the Glorious You. Um, or uh, I can't read the title of this one, but I can read you the subtitle: How to Stop Doubting Your Greatness and Start Living an Awesome Life. Now, the reason we read books like these and uh, we hear these kinds of words and ideas over and over and over in advertising is simple. It's because we are enamored with the extraordinary. We're enamored with the newest technology, with the most successful CEOs in our business, with the best kept secrets, with the exotic places that we've never been to, with the fastest gadgets, with the most extreme ski runs or trails or mountains to summit, with the greatest athletes, with the most raw and vulnerable mom bloggers, right? <clears throat> with the books, the TV shows, the websites, the apps, that if we would just download them or the life hacks, if we would just know them, they would revolutionize our lives. They could help us be untamed and radical and epic and start living our awesome lives today. We're enamored with the extraordinary. And that's partly because we just want to make our lives count. We want our lives to be great and awesome, right? We, we want to go on amazing adventures. We want to go on great vacations. Uh, I'm already thinking about the summer and trying to strategize how we can plan the best vacations ever. We're enamored with the extraordinary. But we find ourselves in a really interesting situation right now that's, I think, a bit Unique because over the past year, here's another reality we're overwhelmed with the extraordinary. I mean, for starters, we're living through a worldwide pandemic, right? Um, and the most common word I think we've all used over and over and over to describe this is unprecedented. I mean, the, the sickness and death, it's unprecedented. The fear, it's unprecedented. There's been unprecedented shutdowns, unprecedented social distancing. We've never had to do that before. An unprecedented race to create a vaccine, an unprecedented challenge to roll it out to everyone in our nation and in our world. It's been extraordinary. And for most of us, it's been extraordinarily overwhelming. Uh, add to that... An extraordinary political season 
over the past year, right? If the pandemic wasn't enough, we've experienced unprecedented division, unprecedented hatred, unprecedented misinformation. We all watched the Capitol be attacked by a mob a few weeks ago. We just went through the second impeachment trial of a president. Most of us, it's been extraordinarily frustrating, maybe extraordinarily anger-provoking or anxiety-provoking. It's certainly been unprecedented. And then add to that the challenge of racial injustice that we're all becoming more and more aware of and the enormous task and responsibility and the weight that we all feel. How do you correct wrongs that have been happening for over 400 years? Where do you even begin It's overwhelming. So we're enamored with one sort of extraordinary in our lives, but we're overwhelmed with a very different kind of extraordinary. But there's another important truth or reality that I want to share with you this morning that I think is even more important, and it's this. We live in the ordinary. Think about it. We just live our lives. We breathe and we work and we play and we eat and we sleep and we navigate our lives in the every ordinary part of life. As important as everything is that's happening in our world out there right now, and as important as our hopes and our dreams and our aspirations for our lives are, the truth is you and I just wake up every day and... The decisions that we think about first are, what am I going to wear today? What am I going to eat for breakfast today? Am I going to eat breakfast, right? What meals am I going to eat today? What tasks are my boss going to expect me to do today and not put off until tomorrow? What words can I share with an anxious child or friend? How much money should I spend on that new sofa that... We need, right? We, we live in the world of the ordinary. And as much as our hearts are often pulled in the direction of the extraordinary, sometimes for good reasons and sometimes for not, we live in the everyday. We live in the ordinary. And, and here's one other thing that's true and helpful for us to realize. We experience God most in the ordinary We experience God in the kind words of a friend, in the gratitude of a good meal that we've just ate, in grief from failure or loss, in moments of silence and stillness, in fun times with others when we finally see our friends again after being away for so long, when we read scripture, when we pray to God, when we just navigate the practices that help us order our relationships, our moments, our days, our lives. That's where we experience God the most. And that's not to say he's not involved in the extraordinary. He is. It's just to realize that we can become so intoxicated by the extraordinary, or we can become so overwhelmed by the extraordinary that we often miss the way that he's always at work in the very common and ordinary parts of our lives. Uh, today, I want to read you a very condensed version of a story from the Old Testament. It's going to be familiar to some of you if you've read it before. It might be new for others. Um, it's about a guy named Elijah. 
He was a prophet in the Old Testament. And uh, Elijah is a prophet of the extraordinary. And he lives during extraordinary times. So there's all these stories about extraordinary things he does, but he lives during this time. It's about the 9th or 8th century B.C. in Israel. And it's a time when the nation of Israel is turning away from God. They're not worshiping him anymore. In fact, they begin to worship all sorts of idols, and they start doing all sorts of things. And they're led by the king and queen. Their names are Ahab and Jezebel, and they sort of lead the people away from God. And so as a prophet, Elijah feels like he has this huge and extraordinary responsibility that God has placed on him to tell the people that that's the wrong way to go, and that they need to turn back to God. And if they don't turn back to God, then things are going to get really bad. Finally, the king and the queen of Israel, they they have enough with with Elijah because he's just a troublemaker. And there's this big battle that takes place. It's not an actual battle of fighting. It's more like, it's almost like a rap battle between between, uh, Elijah and all these other false prophets. And they gather on top of this mountain. And that's a fascinating story we can read another day. But basically, Elijah wins. And then Ahab and Jezebel become so uh, scared of Elijah or fearful of him, they decide they're going to kill him. And so Jezebel sends word that by this time tomorrow, Elijah, you will be dead. And so Elijah runs for his life into the wilderness, to the desert. And he spends 40 days alone there. And he's overwhelmed by everything that's been happening. He's overwhelmed by the events. He's overwhelmed by the responsibility he has. He's overwhelmed by the state of the nation. And so he cries out to God from the wilderness. He's in this cave, and he cries out to God, and he wants an answer from God. Here's how the story goes. It's in 1 Kings chapter 19. I'll just read you a few of the verses. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, well, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Now, now notice what Elijah is saying. He's saying, I've been zealous for you. Zealous is just another word for, I have been a passionate follower of you. I have defended you. I have been radical in my faith, in my obedience. I've done all these extraordinary things for you, God. And look at what's happened. The people have abandoned you. They've killed all the prophets. And now they're going to kill me next. And the implication for Elijah is, I'm wondering, what are you going to do about this, God? How are you going to show up? And God basically says, okay, uh, why don't you just go outside the cave, stand there on the mountain, and I'll show up. And this is what happens next. Some of you might know this part. Then... A great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. God wasn't in the extraordinary wind. He wasn't in the life-changing earthquake. 
He wasn't in the unprecedented, revolutionary, radical, wild, fierce, and untamed fire. God was in the gentle whisper. There's two words in Hebrew. That's what this was originally written in, so we're reading English translations. There's two words in Hebrew, and the two words there uh, literally mean silent voice. So it's possible what it's saying is it was just silent, and God was somehow present. His voice was present in the silence. Or... Perhaps it's just saying that God is going to meet you and speak to you in such a way right now that is so ordinary and common and unremarkable compared to the fire and the wind and the earthquake that it's going to be like this most gentle, quiet whisper you've ever heard. Or the old King James Version says it's like a still, small voice. There's not going to be anything extraordinary about the way God meets you in this moment. Uh, It's easy right now for us to be enamored with the extraordinary or to be overwhelmed by the extraordinary. But today, I want to invite you to begin looking for God in the ordinary. Listening for God, experiencing God in the still, small whisper of the ordinary. And there's no better opportunity for you to do that than the season of Lent. Lent is a season that lasts for 40 days. It begins this Wednesday. It's called Ash Wednesday. And it goes through the end of Holy Week when we gather to remember Jesus' death and resurrection. If you've never celebrated Lent, uh, if this is new for you, then we want to invite you to celebrate that and observe this season with us this year. It's going to feel a bit new. It might feel odd. You might not fully understand what it's about at first. And so we've put together some, some resources on our website at newdenver.org slash Lent to help you better understand it. And then I'm going to tell you a little bit more in just a moment. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about it on Sunday morning. So we invite you to walk through this season with us. Um, if you've been a Christian for a long time, or maybe you've been coming to New Denver for a while, where we engage Lent each year, or perhaps you grew up in a church tradition that observed Lent regularly, then beginning this season again this year for you might feel ordinary, right? Might feel sort of normal might feel sort of ho-hum, right? There might not be anything new or special or exciting or radical or revolutionary about Lent anymore. And perhaps that's the point. Perhaps Lent for you is becoming like Elijah, spending 40 days in the wilderness so that you can hear God's voice again. But you see, even in the wilderness, it's easy for us to be tempted by the wind and the fire 
and the earthquake, right? During even the season of Lent, it's, it's tempting to think that God's going to reveal some sort of new revolutionary insight. Or maybe God will answer that prayer we've been praying for so long, and it doesn't seem like God has done anything about it. But now it's Lent, and I'm going to be super obedient, and I'm going to do all sorts of sacrifices. And so now he's going to answer it with that miracle that I've been waiting for. And the truth is, God sometimes does that. Sometimes he moves in really extraordinary ways. We sang a song about that earlier. There's stories in the book of Acts and in the Bible about God moving in powerful and extraordinary ways from time to time, but that's not how he usually works. That's not the pattern of our lives most of the time. And that's certainly not what the season of Lent is all about. It's it's not usually about the wind and the fire and the earthquake. It's almost always about hearing and responding to that still, small voice. And so let me take the next few minutes and explain to you a little bit about how this might work in Lent. And I want to give you three suggestions, three ideas about how we can enter this season really intentionally. Number one, uh, during Lent, we look for drift. We look for drift. How many are the ways in our lives where we can simply drift away from God? In our hearts, our attitudes, and our focus, our attention, our relationships, our actions, our behaviors, we just drift away. And sometimes they're really obvious and clear and public and and defiant ways. But more often than not, we drift away from God in very subtle and elusive ways and unseen ways. Uh, I grew up in North Carolina, and as, as a kid, our family used to go to the beach a lot. And uh, sometimes my sister and I would go swim in the ocean. We, my parents would set up on towels, you know, on the, on the beach. And my sister and I would go out to the ocean and swim. And if you've ever, um, if you're from the East Coast or from California, you've done this a lot, then you know it's just easy to, to play in the waves and to body surf and to just spend hours and hours out there playing in the ocean and losing track of time. And it was always surprising when we would do that to look up to see where our parents were and what they were doing and realize that our parents were gone. It's like they had just packed up and left. They weren't there on the beach waiting for us any longer. They had just left us by ourselves. But the truth was they actually hadn't gone anywhere. They hadn't moved at all. We were the ones who had moved because little by little, moment by moment, step by step, if you've ever swam at the beach, you know that there's an undertow that just so gently and subtly pulls you down the beach so that you never even notice it. But there's always this force working on you, pulling you causing you to drift so that when you look up and you see my parents aren't there anymore. In fact, they're way down there. Why did they move way down there? And then you realize, oh, they didn't move at all. I was the one who drifted and moved. And so the solution simple. We would just get out of the water, walk back down the beach to our parents, get back in the water and play again. Right. And then just make it a pattern or practice every now and then to look up and see where our parents were and see how far we've drifted away. That's what Lent is. It's this once a year season where we can just stop and pause and look up and ask the question, 
How have I drifted away from God? Number two, during Lent, we clear away the clutter. We make time, we make space, we make room to look for God, to examine our hearts, to be able to ask that question, have I drifted away from him and how? But it's hard to do that if there's so much clutter or noise in our lives. And so we need to clear away some clutter. Sometimes the clutter is stuff, like it's actual literal stuff, possessions. We have so much stuff that we're trying to manage that that's where our attention and our hearts always are. It's on all of our stuff. And and we just need to clear some of that away. Maybe the clutter is in your calendar. Maybe you're too busy. You've said yes to too many things. You have too many commitments. You're trying to do too much. Uh, Maybe the clutter is just some unhealthy habits or voices that are crowding out God's voice. Um, Maybe you spend inordinate amounts of time playing video games or watching TV or checking Instagram or, or watching YouTube or reading news articles about the latest political thing that's happened, right? And God is saying all along, well, of course you can't hear me. There is so much noise. There are so many voices in your life. You'll never be able to hear the gentle whisper of my voice until you clear away some clutter. And so this is the heart of the one practice that probably most of us associate with the season of Lent, and that's giving something up for Lent. Uh, I've done this for many years, and, and I still find that it's a very valuable and meaningful practice to identify something in our lives, something for me that is personally potentially a distraction. Maybe it's just something that I do too much of. Maybe it's something that if I gave this thing up for 40 days, it would clear away a little bit of the clutter. It would make some space and some room for me to be able to hear from God. And get this, the things that we give up during Lent, they're really ordinary things. You might give up a type of food or drink that you love. And when you do it every single day, it's sort of a reminder of what this season is about, of intentionally asking some important and meaningful questions. You might give up a form of media or technology. You might give up shopping or or buying or or, or just Amazon.com, the whole website, just give it up, right? Or, Or maybe there's a particular way that you spend your money or an unhealthy habit you have related to money that would be good to give up. You might give up something that in and of itself, that thing isn't actually bad. It's just something that easily distracts you or easily numbs you in your everyday ordinary life. And by giving that thing up for for 40 days, you make space, you make time, you make room to clear away some clutter. So I wanna encourage you to identify something between now and Wednesday. Uh, Lent starts on Wednesday, so for the next couple of days, just ask God and think about it and identify something and then just make a decision and 
and give it up and, and, and then tell somebody else about it. That can be helpful to, to tell a friend, here's what I'm giving up. Now, sometimes we can try to be too uh, aggressive or too ambitious and, and maybe even a little too prideful, right? I'm giving up all food for the next 40 days, right? Don't do that. Like, don't, don't try to bite off more than you can chew. But then on the other hand, sometimes we give up something really small and we're almost embarrassed about it or apologetic. Like, okay, I'm giving up glazed Krispy Kreme donuts this year. And I know that should be really easy, but for me, it's not really easy. And so I'm going to try, but I know that's weak and I'm a terrible person because that's what I'm getting. Like, no, no, no. Just pick something, something that's going to be a little bit of a stretch for you, a little bit of a challenge. It's going to push you outside of your comfort zone just a little bit so that you can clear away some clutter. And as I said, share it with a friend and just say, hey, here's what I'm giving up during Lent. And uh, we'll see how it goes. So maybe ask me about it every week or two. And I'll tell you how I'm doing and if I'm learning anything new as I clear away some clutter. So during Lent, we look for drift. We clear away clutter. And then number three, during Lent, we journey with Jesus. Historically, the church has taken these 40 days to focus on Jesus to read about him, to get to know him, to walk with him, to learn from him. Even if you've been a follower of Jesus for many, many years. Because the truth is for you, you already know probably most of the main stories about Jesus. You already know where the larger story is going. You know what's going to happen during Holy Week. You know what the ending is. And yet... It's almost as if every single year, Jesus is inviting us again. And it's, it's, such a, it's such a gentle invitation. It's almost like a whisper, hey, would you follow me again? Would you follow me on this really important journey? And learn from me. That's the invitation And so this year, we're going to do that. We're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus again. And in fact, we've called this series Lent in the Ordinary. And that's because as we read the stories about Jesus, here's one thing you're going to notice. Jesus almost always engages really ordinary people who live in ordinary places and have ordinary jobs and have ordinary problems in their lives. That's where he engages people. And he'll often take very ordinary objects in their lives, things that they use or things that they're working with or or, are dealing with every single day. He'll take these objects and he'll use the object to show them something new or to teach them something new or to symbolize something new about himself, about them, about our world, about God. And so during this series, we're going to take a look at some of those objects. They're objects that are in all of our ordinary everyday lives. Each week, we're going to look at one object that Jesus used to engage people with. And so during this series, we'll, we'll look at a different object each week. And we've even put together a reading guide so that you can read a passage every single morning as we go through this series. That's on our website as well. And, and they're not long passages. Some of them are really short. It's like three to five minutes in the morning. A few of the passages are from the Old Testament or from other places in Scripture, but most of them are from the life of Jesus. And so we invite you to engage in that way, to, to make it a habit every morning of just opening the Bible and reading this passage and letting that begin to direct your journey 
with Jesus. That's what Lent in the ordinary is all about. Because it's easy to be enamored by what's extraordinary in our world. It's easy to be overwhelmed by the extraordinary things in our world. But as we journey with Jesus, as we reflect on ways that we might have drifted, as we clear away some of the clutter, let's trust that God will meet us in that. Let's trust that God wants to speak to us in that gentle voice in the ordinary moments of every day. And if we trust that, I think he will meet us there in this season. So let me pray for us and then we'll wrap up. Lord God, I, um, I pray for all of us in this room or who are watching online or even listening to the podcast right now. I pray um, that as we begin this season again, that might feel familiar, might not feel new for some of us, um, that you would meet us in it. God, some of us come with deep anxiety, uh, deep challenges, deep worries, maybe deep loneliness. Um, We need you to meet us in that. And we would ask you to increase our faith during this season. God, help us to trust in you more as we journey with you. Help us to take those parts of our lives that are ugly or that we're embarrassed about or that we just long to see change. Help us to give those parts of our lives to you. And more than anything, just draw us closer to you. pray this in your name. Amen.